I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, theater writer, critic, and dramaturg. I'm Jen Uphoff Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 62 of Theatre Forward. All right. Hello. So in this episode, we thought we would chat about that mainstay of 20th century American theatre, the classic Broadway musical, and how they fit into our contemporary thoughts about programming. And to be honest, we're really kind of inspired to talk about this topic by the film and television genres, what with Apple TV's Schmigadoon series that's running and the upcoming Steven Spielberg film adaptation of West Side Story. And any long-term listener to this podcast knows that you, Mike Fisher, have deeply held feelings and passions about musicals. I think we should start with you. Yeah, mainstay of 20th century culture, keystone of 20th century American (laughs) culture. Um, Well, probably also no surprise to those who have listened in just from comments I've dropped here or there. I mean, I'm a maximalist on this. I mean, I I think that even in musicals that we might have uh, or might tend to write off, uh, there is something to be learned and plumbed. And I think the best example of this is a, a canon that gets regularly uh, sent up in Schmigadoon, which is the Rodgers and Hammerstein ca- uh, canon, you know, which until Nicholas Heitner's revival of Carousel in 1992, had kind of almost ended up being relegated to summer stock. Um, which means you were seeing a lot of productions that weren't very good and that were giving you the sort of white bread America version of Rodgers and Hammerstein that we also get in a lot of the movies of, of their things. And what Heitner did in that carousel is say, no, this is this is a sort of uh, a, 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 a production that is highlighting class warfare uh, in New England and what that does to the people who have to live through it. And then we've had a number of very recent revivals uh, with Bartlett Cher taking the lead on the Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff of South Pacific and King and I. Um, you know, you, you now have revivals of Carousel and Oklahoma, you know, with Daniel Fish or even Kiss Me Kate. And I would make a strong argument. We can get in the specifics for any of them. And I'll use Oklahoma as an example. Um, You see the film and it is, it is truly white bread America celebrating American virtues of can do it and, you know, conquering the West, you know, hello, there are indigenous people in Oklahoma. None of that's there. You get the Daniel Fish version um, and what you get is a, is a takedown of toxic masculinity and racism in American culture. And except for one very significant change at the end where uh, the ne'er-do-well John Judd doesn't fall on his knife, but is blown away by our hero. They didn't change a word. What they did do is put you in a set where you had guns on all the walls, where the lights stayed up through the whole performance so that we were implicated in what was going on. Um, And where you saw with a black woman playing the female lead, the horrible lack of choice that she had in this world between a sort of nice but kind of boring guy on the one hand and the kind of male who was going to harm her on the other, which is no choice at all. And it completely changed many people's understanding of that musical while really honoring what was there all along. And that I think with so many of our musicals is waiting to happen with smart directors 
who can sort of find what's underneath them. Either that or this has just been a long and very self-serving rationalization for the fact that I am a total sucker for musicals that maybe I shouldn't love as much as I do, but I do. Well, Mike, I, I mean, that that's this point is exactly where I do truly agree with you because I do think that um, just about any piece of art, no matter how problematic by um, modern standards, can be used to uh, comment on, investigate, dig deeper on its own problems, right? And so um, I'm with you. And, and by the way, I saw that carousel. <laughs> oh, yeah. You had, yeah. You had Audra McDonald and oh, yeah. No, it was, it, I was, I was a young, young director then, very, um, very impressionable. And I, and I, and I loved it and I was moved by it. And, um, and I do think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of opposition to doing that musical because in um, clumsy hands or pretty much any just straightforward, not digging deeper hands, it can be seen as really accepting of domestic violence. And that is, not, it's, it, it's not just that that's not okay. It's like, how can you, I can't picture as a, as a human, let alone a woman in 2021, sitting and watching a straightforward production of that show and feeling okay about it. Not just because it would feel politically incorrect, but because that uh, that's just a, that's an awful, awful idea that there mm -hmm. could be an acceptance of the of the domestic violence. But doing that musical can also be an opportunity to explore what domestic violence does to a human, to a community, and that can have tremendous social good. So if it's done well, if it's done intelligently and sensitively you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have these beautiful songs and these classic characters and you can explore um, exactly uh, what makes it so problematic in a way that is beneficial and not harmful. But that is, I mean, as a director, I can say it's hard to do and really good people do it really well and it's really easy to do it badly. And of course, we've all been aware of productions of some of these difficult shows that have happened all over the country where the, what's problematic is not being investigated and examined. It's right. being ignored and that has potential to do great harm. So this is one of those, it, it's a tough situation because if you do it well, you are doing a societal good as well as an artistic good. And if you do it poorly, you are doing harm. And, you know, we definitely don't want to be doing that. So how do we walk that line? How about, I mean, that you, you are both talking about musicals that um, grab onto the sort of the icky, icky um, topics and really address them. Um, I was thinking of musicals I like and is this problematic and how, I don't know that you address something like Book of Mormon, which I find hilarious. And for a very long time, I justified the really almost despicable behavior and and um, stereotype of of the the um, African jungle men, and um, I don't know that there's any way. I justified it by saying, "Well, they make fun of everybody. Everybody's being made fun of." But I find that now in 2021, really problematic. And I don't know how you address that. I mean, you know, some of the ways like this is how you get rid of AIDS. This, I mean, it, it's, 
it's problematic to its core. And I'm wondering if there is a director out there that has the, um, the wherewithal, the imagination to take that and make it less problematic. I, I'm not sure. Well, again, but with something like that, I mean, this and this is a this is a genre problem, right? I mean, this is a send up of Western imperialism as refracted through Mormon missionaries. And so what we're seeing is something that we are seeing through their eyes. And if we can't see that, then you're right. It's going to be easily misread in the way that Huck Finn, which I will go down to my grave maintaining is one of the most brilliant anti-racist books ever written, can be easily misread. Um, in the way that er the early minstrel tradition, which was subversive of slavery, can get misread, got misread to such a uh, such an extent that that the black people who started it had to abandon it because they weren't getting through to the white audiences they were trying to reach, who were taking what was intended to be a send up as naturalism and as truth. Um, but I think you know if if that show is done in a way that heightens. What's and I think it's already baked into the script. What's wrong with the way in which the Mormons are approaching that culture? You have a lot of that. King and I is another example. To go back to Rogers and Hammerstein again, are there things in that that would we would call in Edward Said's terms Orientalism? Absolutely. Is it also sort of sort of uh, an indictment? of glib Western assumptions about another culture. Yes, it's that too. And the fact that it makes us squirm and forces conversations about what's actually going on to me is healthy. Unless we want an art that is gonna completely sanitize anything that makes us squirm. And to go back to Book of Mormon is gonna completely sanitize and get rid of farce as a genre. You know, I mean, one of the reasons Taming of the Shrew makes people uncomfortable is because they don't get what the play is. I mean, it's a farce. It's meant to be a farce. Everybody gets knocked around in that play. You can say you don't like it, but then you're saying you don't like farce. And if you want to get rid of farce, okay, let's have that discussion. Uh, this conversation is getting really good and gritty, like very quickly. And as I, and so I'm just like, and I'm looking at all of our, our very white faces. So this is a very, um, specific perspective on this. But I, I, I just, you know, something you said, Julie, about musicals that are trying to get at, um, at these big issues, at these more difficult issues. And I, I do think there is an element of time that allows re-envisioning. I mean, some of the most challenging, problematic classic musicals for us now are ones that we're really trying to engage with difficult issues. And you think about Showboat, you think about Oklahoma, um, you know, Finian's Rainbow that was actually trying to be really progressive on issues of race. And it's like, oof, that, I, I'm confident there's a way to do that one, but it- Nobody's jumped into that one yet. But I think, I mean, Book of Mormon, I think is actually kind of in that tradition. Like right. it's, it, it was trying to do that. And in ways that are really hard to listen to or look at right now. But because it was trying to, in the moment it was created, be progressive in what it was doing. And what is progressive evolves. That's the point of progress, right? Um, so I wonder if something like a Book of Mormon in 50 years, someone's able to re-examine it the way you can re-examine in Oklahoma, right? It's harder to do that with something recent. It feels right. more egregious because you can't just say, oh, well, that was the time. So now we're in a different time. Let's reimagine it. Book of Mormon's not that old, um, but it has still been dated by our 
progress by our progressivism, you know. Um, you know, uh, yeah, Penny and Rainbow, man. Um, <laughs> right. You know, South Pacific, that's another yeah. one that was really for its time progressive. If you do it just straight up with no examination now, it, well, I think it has potential yeah. to do harm to the people watching it. I do. That's- Context is everything. I mean, you're right, Jen. This is a musical that Rodgers and Hammerstein threatened to shut the tour down when Wilmington, Delaware, as it was starting south, refused to integrate seats. They said, you're either going to integrate this theater or we're not going to let you in. You know, it was pilloried in the Deep South, had a hard time getting bookings uh, in, in the Deep South. You know, there was legislation introduced in Georgia to ban it from being able to come into the state. I mean, it's ridiculous, but that's where we were. And yet you also have this character, Nellie, who is... Uh, you know, if, if you're not careful with her, you don't get to examine in the same way you don't with a Porsche in The Merchant of Venice, how incredibly racist she actually is. And one of the brilliant things that Bartlett Sher put back in is her reference to people being colored so that you could see that this girl from Arkansas had a few issues she had to work on in addition to being somebody who was appealing. And the fact that she is appealing in that production, especially, I mean, when is Kelly O'Hara, who is divine, not appealing? But I mean, it's like it brings back the fact that you have to wrestle with what's 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 going on. And I think that's that's all to the good. Is it problematic? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. But it's easy to take out particular moments from any of these shows in our Twitter feed, sort of like never look at the entire context of anything culture because nobody wants to read more than two paragraphs and say, oh, problematic, problematic, problematic. Instead of saying, hey, in the context of the entire piece, there's something being taught here. No pun intended, given that song and that play. Right, right but but I think <clears throat> my, my, my caution on, on that, Mike, is that it's not just from people taking moments out of context, it's that we have to be, honest about the fact that there are scores of productions of these pieces done throughout the country every year that are not grappling with the the the, the problematic content of these shows and it, and if it's not being engaged with then for anyone who's in the audience be they a person of color watching one of these shows, be they a domestic violence survivor, be they um, a woman watching Pajama Game, it, you know, and that's one of my favorite musicals. <laughs> um, uh, if harm, They're harmful. They are psychologically, emotionally, intellectually harmful if they're just presented straight up for people in the audience. And so when, when there's, when I see people on social media saying this musical should never be done again, um, I'm factoring into that the fact that if if they're sitting through a bunch of um, productions that are not, you know, honestly con- with a contemporary focus taking on these issues, then yeah, I mean, it, I, we're not doctors, but I feel like first do no harm. But but it's not relevant. But does that mean we're going to look? I mean, if we do that, the the problem is you've just pointed out so well is not with the text or with the scripts. It's with crap productions. So are we going to get rid of the underlying musicals because we're going to be arbitrating around the country? Or are we going to say we need better critics, which is a whole nother thing we've all talked about, (laughs) to sort of take this stuff on? I mean, take Shakespeare. Are we going to stop doing Merchant of Venice because 95% of the productions 
are anti-Semitic because they don't really understand what the play is about? Are we going to stop doing Taming of the Shrew? I mean, that's the that's where we are going if we go down this road. And the solution is not to get rid of these texts or these musicals. The solution is to make sure that we work hard to make people better informed about what they are. And you're right, that's not always going to happen. But right. that's... But that's but, yeah, but you can't throw them out because you're worried that some ignoramus director is going to get it wrong. But that's why that's where I'm agreeing with you is I'm saying if we want to keep these pieces being performed and learned from, that the art that went into them is celebrated and that the topics that they raise actually are continued to be grappled with, then we need to be more vocal, especially those of us who have any sort of power or authority in the, in the field. We need to be more vocal at and I hate to use the word calling out, but I'm struggling in the moment to come up with another, uh, you know, substitute, but like talking about it when there are productions that aren't yes. doing it right. Yes. Because, because that's the only way that we put the pressure on that, that will ultimately force companies that want to do these pieces to do them with context and not to just do them. And I mean, I, I'm thinking back not very far to a few seasons ago when Overture Center for the Arts, our performance home, um, and they do a, a series Broadway across America touring shows that they have some control and some lack of control over what gets programmed in a season, what gets brought in. And in that season, they did both King and I and Miss Saigon. And I didn't see any of those particular tours, but from reading up about them, it seems like they did some, but not a lot of revisiting of the themes in those shows. And because the uh, the tour producers and the presenting house weren't doing anything around those tours to contextualize the portrayals of Asian and Asian American characters, the Asian American community here in Madison got really upset, really upset. And I think that they were really justified in being upset because, and this gets into a whole nother topic we can talk about, when, when there's so little representation mm -hmm. of any particular uh, minority gr group, be it, we talk about gender, ableism, age, what have you, if, if you've got very, very limited representation, then a burden falls on those few pieces with representation to show the breadth of the community. We can talk about In the Heights in a minute if we want to, but, um, I think that had Overture Center, had Broadway Across America thought about ahead of time, wow, we're doing these two pieces that have a very dated view of Asian and Asian American characters. And also that they are employing a tremendous number of Asian American artists and were created, you know, anyway, I, I feel like th that could have been a springboard for a community conversation that both celebrates art and also really questioned the depictions in those shows, but because there wasn't that forethought, it led to a lot of harm. And I, right? I, I, I agree that it could have gone um, in a in a more favorable direction and and more context and more dialogue. Is that what needs to happen at all times when we do these these fraught musicals? I mean, I, I was thinking about. Um, how the biggest houses of every city um, are the ones that handle the Broadway tours. It's the most expensive ticket 
in the city, no matter what else, what, what else is happening, what other theater companies are around. So it's the biggest ticket in the biggest house with the most people. Um, so there obviously is an appetite for all of this. Does it need does it need to come with some sort of context, some sort of panel discussion or whatever, or do we shelve that for a little bit? Can, can you do now, Miss Saigon, without any of what you're advocating? Well, I don't think you should. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. and I think you should. Um, you know, and here's, here's Leah Salanga, you know, who knows a little bit about Miss Saigon, having done it in both London and New York. Now, granted, she's the biased, quote unquote, you might argue, observer as somebody who is in the production. This is set in 1975, not 2017. And this really happened. I'm from Manila and it is still happening. Go to any red light district and that's what you're going to see. A girl with desperation in her eyes who is uh, not wanting to be doing this. Um, and another girl who is dead on the inside. I don't know of too many shows that allow an audience to see that reality. It's very eye-opening and can be very jarring. Here's John John Briones, who played the engineer in the last Broadway production in 2017. I truly believe that because of Miss Saigon, Asian actors are seen in a different light. Now, we're, as Jen, you've rightly pointed out, four white people who, because of that, have a limited perspective, that you can find scores of Asian Americans, not just people in these shows, who will defend these shows to the hill, and not just because they provide jobs. And again, it's because they're challenging people to think differently. The bigger point, and I think you're 100% right on this, is what the hell are we doing in a season where The King and I and Miss Sagan are two of our shows, and we're not expanding beyond that to different views of what Asian American or Asian culture might be like. And I think one of the reasons why the Asian community was rightly upset um, in, in Madison is because for too long, we've had too narrow a range of options and perspectives in terms of what's on stage. And that does get into a bigger issue, which is we need to dramatically expand the offerings in every venue um, to include more artists of color and playwrights of color um, on the stages. That said, to me, the solution is not to shelve a musical. Maybe it doesn't need to get done as often as it does, Julie, I'm, I'm with you on that. But the idea that we would throw out what is, even though I don't love it as much as I did 20 years ago, a still fairly great score, um, um, and which is raising a number of very important issues. I mean, remember, this is 14 years after the Vietnam War. It's raising hard issues about Western imperialism and Western benightedness in going into Vietnam in the first place. And so the, that part of it is truly, or was at the time, subversive. Um, and the fact that there are other things in it that play into stereotypes, well, hell, I mean, almost every work of art I can think of plays into stereotypes in some way. If we start throwing everything out because it's not 100% pure, we are gonna have nothing left. But that's why I'm saying, I mean, Mike, I actually don't um, disagree with you. When I said we shouldn't do it, it was in response to Julie's question of, should we do it without having to have that context around it? And that's why I say, no, if you're if you're gonna do Miss Saigon straight up and you're not gonna have a community conversation and you're not gonna have a playbill note that talks about you know, what the stereotypes in it are, if you're not going to acknowledge that it was written by a bunch of white men, then you should not do it. But that's not the same thing as saying it shouldn't be done. And that's, that's really where I fall. Like, I don't know that there's a single one of these musicals we've talked about that I would say should not be done, should be put on the shelf and no one should touch it. 
but there's a lot of them that I would say, um, if the choice is doing them straight up or not doing them, I would opt for not doing them. If, if you can't figure out a way to do it that is um, less harmful to marginalized communities, then pick something else. That, that, that's where I am. Well, yeah, and again, I just, I mean, you know, the dramaturg in me wants there to be context around every show. It's more jobs for <laughs> right, people that right. need them and who are wonderful contributors <laughs> to theater. So I'm all for that. But again, I don't want, who's going to be the arbiter of what's harmful and what isn't, of what we're going to decide to only do if there's a panel discussion or what isn't. I would love panel discussions around all of these shows. I think the idea that we have to check a box saying if we don't have a panel discussion, we can't do the show, that makes me squeamish. Having said that, would a panel discussion be better would, would as much engagement as possible with what's going on in any of these texts, you know, make an audience come out of it with a richer ex experience, if more troubling experience, you bet, all for that. Well, I think we don't get to decide is the point. Like, I think the, the white folks, if, if we're talking specifically about race and it could be the, the, you know, traditionally abled folks, if we're talking about disability, it can be, you know, men, if we're talking about women. I mean, I think if we're gonna look at any problematic, uh, text piece or musical like this, there needs to be input at a high enough level to be able to impact decision-making from the community that could be harmed saying, do we need to have a conversation about this? You know, if Madison's Asian American community had been brought into a conversation with Broadway Across America or with Overture Center for the Arts saying, hey, we're going to do these shows. Do you think we should do something around it? There's no controversy, there's no, you know, there's less harm, there's all of that. But the point is that, that all of the, you know, people who aren't Asian American making the decision about doing it didn't well, have that input. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page with the, I mean, this goes to the heart of Forward Theater's mission, which is that theater has to engage its community. And if it's not doing that, and it's not paying attention to what the community cares about and is interested in, in every programming decision, then it's not doing its job because theater is for the people. Um, so yes, I, I totally agree on that in terms of the way it was handled. And there's, there is something that, that we all want to acknowledge, which is that Art evolves, humans evolve, right? And we can, as a field and as individuals, always do better. We can learn from what we've done. We don't need to heap, you know, we don't need to heap shame on what's been done in the past if we are learning and growing from it. I mean, we all have, I was the assistant director for a new Broadway musical fairly early in my career. It was called The Life. It was written by Cy Coleman. My God, did I love working on that. I learned so much. And I worked with some tremendous artists, including the legendary Chuck Cooper and Lilius White on that show. And tons of, of performers of color were engaged and won Tony Awards. And there was some great music. And, and uh, you know, it was such a great experience for me learning. I look back now and am horrified that in 1997, when I was what, 26 years old, it didn't occur to me to be horrified that here was this story that was primarily depicting um, people of color that was entirely written by old white men. I'm, I'm incredibly uncomfortable with the fact that it didn't occur to me then to say, this is, this is wrong. Um, and it was, 
uh, and I can, you know, I could, I can beat myself up about that. Or I can also say, well, I'm not going to do that again. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm, I know more than I did. Okay, good. That was bad that I didn't know that there were still many positive things that came out of that show overall for many of the artists involved. There are many good things that I learned from it. Um, and there are other things I learned from it that I am determined not to repeat. And I, that, that our field is made of humans. Just that we're all humans. <laughs> That's all so we can ask, you know, how to get better. We got to learn. Right. Right. And get better. And these pieces of art can be learned from. But well, yeah, I mean, even even there, and, and this I think I've said on the podcast before, I know I have Julie and Jen to you individually. I mean, I go back to people like Zadie Smith or Bernardine Arvaristo, both of whom are non-white, they're black women, um, both of whom resist at you know very, very stridently the idea that you, if you're a white man, you can't write intelligently about people of color any more than we should be restricting them from writing the brilliant things that they write about people who are not like them. So, you know, I, I guess I'm even made squeamish by, by what you're suggesting. I don't think the fact that a white person writes about people of color means that the work should not be done. Is it an issue? Is it something we need to question and think about in terms of what might be missing? Well, sure, but that's true of any piece of art, which given where we're coming from is going to incorporate gestures of exclusion and marginalization. And those always need to be rigorously interrogated. I mean, there you and I are in agreement in terms of your experience then and what you reflect on now, but it's not quote unquote wrong or intrinsically problematic in my view. It's just an issue to be discussed. Right, there was no person of color with power on that project enough to put a halt to anything that might've been harmful in it. Yeah. That was the problem. Like, so yes, that's a problem. Could, yeah. could Cy Coleman and, and his partners have written that show and had it and, and, and gone forward and not been, um, Oh God, I don't want to keep saying problematic anymore, but, um, but like if there had been a collaborator or a producer yes. or um, I mean, even then Lilius was, a, a bit of a star, but I don't think she had enough say to say, you know, you got to change the writing, right? Um, that puts too much pressure on that actor. There needed to be a producer or a key creative team member of color who could provide perspective. And then it's fine, right? But to do it and just assume that you know everything you need to know. Right. No, no, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, and hey, more work for dramaturgs. And here, more work for dramaturgs of color and more work for women uh, who are dramaturgs, which is which is all to the good. I mean, I saw the opening last night in Chicago. We're, we're, we're taping this on August 3rd um, of Goodman Theater. You know, Bob Falls was out there. He lit up the marquee. It was a very, very exciting night of schoolgirls or the African Mean Girls play, mm. a play of all women of color written by a woman of color, directed by a woman of color. The fact that you had a woman of color as dramaturg was absolutely the right thing in that particular context. And it it showed in what is a fantastic production. Please folks go see it. You can see it through the end of August, shameless plug over. So yes, I mean, that's, we, we need in every which what way in terms of the kinds of things we're doing and who's involved in them to expand where we are and include more people, more representative of our community. Amen on that. Well, and, and I'll, you know, I'll sort of, I'll, I'll bring us back to the beginning and as we sort of wrap up, bringing it back to something like Schmigadoon, which for those who love musicals, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend get your little month's trial of, 
uh, Apple TV plus. Um, but for those who don't know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a sitcom basically in which a modern couple goes on a hike and finds themselves trapped in a, a sort of little village that is basically where they're living a classic musical. And so you have this wonderful dichotomy of all these great production numbers that sound like they are very, you know, loosely cribbed from Oklahoma and Sound of Music and Brigadoon and all of that. But then you also have these two contemporary characters who comment on it as they go. And, and, you know, so there'll be this lovely, you know, production number about all the women who want to cross over the bridge to uh, marry this new stranger in town. And then, you know, the, the contemporary woman is able to go, wow, the women's characters are thinly written in these musicals, you know, and, and with that, what's fun about it is if, again, if you love the form, you can enjoy both aspects of that, but it's also a nice way of reminding us that there are real problems in, in these great works of art. And so if we are thinking about that, then we're engaging with it. And by recognizing that there are problems there, we're thinking about the problems in our own world and how we can address them. And that's beneficial. Oh, yeah. Some real joy, too. Can I point that out, that there is um, Schmigadoon, all of these things that we're talking about, many points of joy and um, release and, dare I say, entertainment. Oh, well, joy and entertainment. <laughs> joy and entertainment. That's that's what we're going to say. That that's it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jenna Hoff Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by musical lover Scott Hayden, who also understands that musicals give joy to the world. Um, and you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter at Theater Forward. It will give us great, great joy if you remember that theater is always spelled, including in this Instagram ad, uh, in the social media address with an E-R. <laughs> And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And please leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We're grateful to have you listening and we will be back soon for another Theater Forward Conversations.